Amen, amen, amen. We are still in First Peter, and we're winding down. Um, we're going to actually dive into the last chapter. Um, we left off in chapter 4, um, verse 12 through 19. Um, and those verses, as I, I, you know, are really a recap of everything that we've talked about. And so what he does in those verses, in verse 12, he challenges them. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So he reminds them that, sh- that trials aren't strange. In verse 13, calls them to, uh, he said, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. He said that in chapter 2, that you may also rejoice and be glad when he is revealed. Or the day of visitation. He talked about that in verse 2 also. Verse 14, he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, you're a real Christian. Verse 15, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet, if you suffer, if anyone suffers as a Christian, <coughs> one of the first places, one of the first, one of the only places in the Bible where you see the word Christian, and you'll see it in Acts 10. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? Talk about the judgment of man on the church through suffering, and then he turns around and says, but if you suffer now, don't worry about it, Because if man can put you on blast now, be glad that man's putting you on blast because God putting you on blast is permanent. Then he says, he says, then he says, he says, and if it begins, oh, verse 18. He says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Remember, we talked about that in 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 2 through uh, 25, and then he reminded them of that reality practically in their lives in chapter 3, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Now, we're to a section where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of been itching to get here. Um, because I think this is an extremely relevant topic for us today. I think it's a relevant topic um, in our time period. You know, a few years ago, Enron was a multi-billion dollar organization. Enron in 2000, uh, I think 2000 bought in $100 billion in one year. But at the end of 2001, they had to file for bankruptcy. Now, I, I don't know about y'all. 101 billion, 100 billion dollars, and then you got to file bankruptcy the next year because people are lying about the books. And what happened is key leaders in the organization were put up on charges, and a lot of those things haven't even been settled to that day. And everyone railed at Enron because at the end of the day, their fall 
had to do with faulty leadership. I don't care what type of entity you're a part of. Leadership is key. Not just skill, but the heart. The heart of a leader. What they want, what they expect, how they execute their motivations, how they deal with heart issues. And here in this text, we're going to talk about today the vintage pastor. We're going to talk about the vintage pastor. Peter dives in, in this section, and at the end of the book, after he's exhorted the body, he ends the book by chopping it up with the pastors. He wants to begin to remind elders, overseers, bishops, whatever you want to, presbytery, whatever you want to call them. We're going to talk about those words in a second. Why folk use different ones. But what's interesting in this text is he saves his exhortation last for the leadership. And it's interesting the climate that was going on when he exhorted these leaders. See, believers were going through difficult struggles during this time through being sociologically and economically ostracized. And because they were becoming economically and sociologically ostracized, Christians were headed towards a great persecution. And so this was a day where it was not really popular to be a pastor. It wasn't popular to wear five-button suits. And I'm not putting that down. I'm not putting suits down. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't popular to be on TV. They didn't have them. But it wasn't popular being a pastor. It wasn't popular. popular like, like today, it seems like pastoral ministry is cool. It's the ministry of the smooth, the cool, looking fine and carrying on, having it going on, making, uh, you know, doing big things, having multiple cars, and using the flock as a means for your own desires. Excuse me if I get a little angry today. Forgive me if I get a little angry today because I'm preaching to myself. Because as I began to recomb my life as a pastor through this text, it reminded me of what I was supposed to be doing. It, it, it ingrained in me a deep passion for the flock. What's interesting about this passage is he's calling pastors not to be punks. Not to be left field, low shelf suckers. And what's interesting is he's talking to people in a time period where pastoring wasn't popular. So he had to really, really reel them in and talk to them about what it meant to shepherd. Today, I'm not going to have any points. I'm not going to say point number one, point number I'm not going to do that today. We're just going to walk through these verses. And I want to explain slowly some things. Rebuke some things, unearth some things. Because if we could pass the mic around this room. Everybody has a story. Everybody. <laughs> whether, it was, whether it was from a distance or up close, every one of you have a story of some pastor that you have an issue with that's still unresolved or, 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 or got resolved but couldn't get resolved because of paramount arrogance. And so, and so today, 
I want to talk to you about the vintage pastor because I want you to talk about, I want us to look at a biblical, and I'm not going to talk all about pastoring because we're going to get into a nature and purpose in the local church after we do our stewardship series. So I'm not going to talk everything about pastoring, but I really want to walk through this text. This is a key one. And then I want to talk about the ultimate pastor, who we ultimately look to. And so, and so in this passage, Peter, old head, about to get crucified upside down. Old head, salt and pepper gray hair. Some believe his eyes were waning. He probably could, now you can see varicose veins probably all through his body. And he's sitting, waiting to be executed. And one of his last ditched efforts was to talk to believers about suffering because he was going through it himself. He was experiencing how unpopular it was to be a preacher. He was experiencing how unpopular it was to be missional. He was experiencing how popular it was, unpopular it was to be a Christian, to be a part of the church, to proclaim a resurrection, to proclaim a death on the cross. He was experiencing what it looks like to be unpopular. He wasn't worried about people not listening to his podcast or buying his CDs. He was thinking about a prophecy that was given to him 30 years before this by his Lord. And it coming to pass and him having to face a hard word from God. Now, you, you coming out, Peter. Peter, if you just wait a little while longer, your change, yeah, your change is going to come after you get crucified. See, I don't mind somebody saying they're a prophet. Just tell me something bad sometimes. And, and hopefully I can find an inkling of it in a Bible. Amen, lights and walls. <laughs> I, I, I feel privileged. I felt like I was privileged as I was reloading my, my soul with this. It's an ancient, elders, these, these shepherds were a part of an ancient community of experienced men of God who had become because of their lives held in high regard. When you look at the history of eldership in the Bible, which I don't have time to talk about all of it, you see the idea of it in the ancient times of heads of households who were elders. Grandmama, my dear, and big mama, and them, and Nana was not the head of the household. Elder daddy who was there, around, pouring, shepherding, loving, doing weddings, providing inheritances. He was there. That's where we get our idea of an elder from. And so the early church copped that as a part of, and God sanctioned it because it was his work of utilizing elders as leaders in communities, in community with one another, in community with God's people. And so here in this passage, we're talking about a long lineage of men who have been passionate about the living God and who have given their lives to lead flocks. And so Peter, as we dive in here in verse 1 of chapter 5, helps us with our understanding. 
He says, so I exhort the elders among you. Stop. 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 Let's slow our roll. Let's talk about several things right there. Peter <clears throat> exhorts the elders. Let's talk about this word elders. You will see in this passage that the word elders, the word for overseer, and the word for pastor is all in this passage. Some in their verb form, some in their noun form. So you will see that the word elder, pastor, bishop, or overseer really isn't any distinctively difference in relation to office. It's the same, it's the same, it's the same office, but just different emphasis within the same office. So that's why you see us here, we don't call cats associates. They don't flank me as my flunkies to go get my water after I preach. Bless you, doc. Putting capes around me after the sermon's over. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Wiping my shoes off while I'm preaching. Wiping my shoes off. My gaiters and carrying on. Now, elder, elder, pastor, overseer is, is synonymous. I want y'all to really let this sink in today. Pastor or shepherd here is a part of this entire treaty. So when we look at this, the word for elder is presbuteros. Say presbuteros. Yeah. I, I, oh, that, whoa, that sounds good. Say it one more time. One more time for the Holy Ghost. Woo! Hey, y'all can speak Greek now. Presbuteros, the, the emphasis of this word, it emphasizes one who leads in community. One who leads in community. Let me say it one more time. One who leads in community with others, not alone. Not one who stands diametrically separate from the community as one who looks down at the rest of the guys who are waiting to get their turn to preach or get a church. No, no, no. They are a mutual, co-equal community of qualified, eldering men who the believers in the flock have said, I'll follow that cat. I'll follow him, I'll follow him. And they line up and they become community to one another, a microcosm of the larger community of the church. So when he says elders, he's not talking about the senior pastors. You don't see that in the Bible. He's, he's calling to the elders, plural, who are shepherding small communities and small house churches throughout Asia Minor and who are meeting in synagogues. And he's, he wants to talk to them. So when we look at this idea of elder, the other word used in the New Testament is pastor, pastor or shepherd. That's the word poiamen, say poiamen. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It emphasizes care, it emphasizes care, and it emphasizes guidance. And we're going to get there in a minute on what that looks like. Overseer emphasizes oversight. And authority. And so we see three 
different terms. You'll see it over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You'll see um, 1 Timothy chapter 5. You'll also see, um, for, uh, uh, start, at, start at verse 17. We may go there for a few minutes. And you'll also see it um, over, even though it's coupled with a partnering word, that diskalas, is, um, which means teach, um, it, it's, it's coupled in Ephesians chapter 4, pastor, teacher. And so it's all over the New Testament, and they're talked about as a community of men. You'll see in Acts 15, you'll see in Acts chapter 20, he called to the elders, not a lead guy only or a senior guy only. He calls all of them. And so it's beautiful in this passage that we see Peter talking about elders and those who exist in community with one another. It's interesting, as I was studying this, that God himself is a council of elders. God the Father is Elder Father. God the Son is Elder Jesus. And then Holy Ghost is Elder Ghost. And all three of them exist in community together. They have been hanging out together, making sovereign decisions for all of eternity. They are the ruling elders of all the universe. They are the great community of leaders who demand that those who lead in their stead or for them reflect the beauty of their eternal relationship as a community within the larger heavenly community. And so elders, that, that means that even in these group of elders, that doesn't mean everybody does the same thing. But just like the triune God, if you have every player doing the same thing, somebody shouldn't be on the court. You can't have two shooting guards. Three of them, whole team of just dudes want to shoot. Give me, nobody passing nothing. You can't have three centers. Everybody going to stand under. Nobody to bring the ball down the court. You get you a big old linky dude trying to bring the ball down the court. I remember one time Shaq tried to take... I said, I said, Sh don't do that, Shaq, ever. The funniest one was Kareem Abdul coming down the court. He bouncing the ball, the ball back there. I'm like, Kareem, pass the ball. That's not your gift, bro. That's not your gift. It's not your gift, though. Just post up or, or go over a sky hook. You know, do your thing. Don't, don't be being shooting guard, guard, any of that. So, so, so we're not talking about a, a team of people who everybody is jockeying for position and doing the same thing. So he says, he says, I exhort the elders <laughs> among you, among you. What's interesting is that he emphasizes and points to the fact that and among you is used 60 times in the New Testament. And the, the, the emphasis of it is <clears throat> it points to deep connectivity of a people in Christian community. So among you means present, not gone all the time. Not gone all the time. You can't shepherd preaching all everywhere all the time. That's why he said the flock among you, those who he's called you to pour into. You can't be gone 20, 80 times. No. And nobody knows. He says among you, present, around. But it's a community of them, so all of them bear the, the shepherding responsibility together, not one person alone. That's key. As a congregation grows, so should eldership grow. So 
shepherd the flock among you. Now listen to Peter. This is mind-blowing. He, he uses a term here that's never used in the New Testament. He adds it to the word for elder, and he says, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. So it's interesting that Peter here does not emphasize his apostleship, but he emphasizes his role as an elder. When you look at chapter Acts 16, all this is landed out for where we're going. When you look at Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas were excited when they came back from a missionary journey. They were excited. Lives were changed. Um, um, Gentiles were trusting Jesus Christ. They came back sharing. And some cats in the community had an issue with Gentiles not keeping the law of Moses. So there was within those, it says, the, and the apostles and the elders gathered to discuss the issue. That's What's beautiful about that is the apostles who walked with Jesus talk with Jesus, learned their theology with Jesus, got in community with the elders to settle a theological issue. So what does that say? That, say, that, that says that there's a level, not that I'm an apostle, I'm going to be Apostle Mason now, you know what I'm saying? Like apostle, you know, don't call me that, please. But it, it, it just gives us a picture of the fact that they commune together. And Peter emphasizing the fact that he's a part of the community of leaders who are supposed to help move the community of the church forward as he calls himself one with them. And you saw Peter, who was, on, who was an apostle, and you see James, the brother of Jesus, who was an elder within that, and they were both what we call first among equals in both of those communities. Even though there's a community of leaders who lead together, there is within that community one who gives leadership and direction to that community so that everybody doesn't start uh, just uh, overlapping and going back and forth. There's a community of them together. And so you see that reality in that text. When he talks about the sufferings of Christ, he is, when he says, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ, he is pointing a little bit to his apostleship. In other words, he's just saying, yo, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I'm one of those cats that was actually there. And so I'm able to talk to you from the perspective of seeing the sufferings of Christ, experiencing suffering myself, and speaking to you in this unpopular time where Christians are suffering. Then he says, as a partaker, he says, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. I like that. The word there for partaker is koinonia. Say koinonia. That's where we get our word community from. Koinonia means partnership or to share. He says, the one who, will, who, who is a partner with you in the glory that is going to be revealed. How is he a partner in the glory that is to be revealed? Because they are a suffering community of leaders who are suffering together, so they will reign equally under Christ. And so he lays out the fact that, yo, I'm experiencing the same things that you all are experiencing. Now, now he goes further and he says in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock among you. That is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's interesting that he calls them to shepherding. Shepherding is one of the key roles. It is the way in which eldering is one of the ways in which eldering and bishoping is laid out. Now, shepherding takes multiple facets looks at, to look out for, to care for, to give guidance to, a community of believers. It's interesting, I can see Peter, as he's telling them, shepherd the flock among you, 
he remember his embarrassment after the resurrection and before the ascension of Jesus Christ when they're sitting by the fire and they're chilling out by the fire. Jesus just uh, had a fish fry, a fish grill. You know what I'm saying? Jesus know how to cook with an eternal body, so there may be some cooking in heaven, hopefully. So Jesus is chilling. Jesus is chilling by there. He got a fire started. You know, I, I wonder how. I'll think of things. I wonder how Jesus, what did Jesus do? He just said, and it just, and trees came together, and I don't know how it happened. Or he actually did the old school, you know. I don't know what he did. But Peter was so blown away that the Lord had called him, and he swam back to shore. But when he got there, even though he was eager to get to Jesus, there was a bit of disappointment in him because this was the, a real time of confrontation for him to really sit down with his Lord and talk to him. And Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? More than these. And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. Said a second time, Simon, son of John. It's like your mama calling you by all your name. Do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this to him a third time. He says, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. It's interesting here what Jesus says. Shepherd my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. My, 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 my. Jesus is not a toddler sitting in a playroom with other kids talking about mine in a way that is whack. He's sitting here talking about the fact that even though I am going to give you shepherding authority in their lives, they belong to me. You belong to Jesus. You are not Pastor E's flock. Y'all not my folk. Y'all not Pastor Deuce's folk and all the other elders that will come on. You belong to him. You're his. He's more responsible for you than we can ever be. But we're still charged with the charge. He says, shepherd the flock among you. And as he goes into talking about shepherding the flock among you, he goes into what that looks like. Here we go. He says, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. That describes the continued action of an elder. It is, of course, describing how he leads, how he rules over the flock. Now, when we talk about ruling, we're not talking about a certain type of ruling. We're not talking about iron fist ruling, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. It describes how the act of shepherding takes place in the community. This is also used of God giving oversight to his people. Then he's, then everything after this describes what the oversight looks like. Now, oversight looks like this. He says, shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Under compulsion means you're forced to. You don't like, you don't like folk. You don't like anybody. Ah, I got to pour into somebody. Just give me my check. Just let me preach. He says, but voluntarily. Feeding with passion. 
He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Stop. Let's stay here. Yeah. He tells them not for shameful gain. The word shameful gain means shamefully greedy. From eagerness for base gain, covetously, greedily, with eagerness for dishonest gain. Hold your finger here and turn over to 2 Peter. Verse 14. The context of this passage is false pastors, punk dudes, left field dudes, may not even be saved. Verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, they have eyes full of adultery. Stop. When ladies walk up to them, they can't keep their eyes off their breasts. When they walk off, they're looking back at them. My, 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 sister. God has been good to you, huh? Let me know if, if he do that to you. Any, anybody. So, so we can take them out back. Eyes full of adultery. Trying to get with women regularly. Let me open something up. There's an epidemic in pastoring. We're some punk dudes out there. Help me, God, don't get too angry. I want to throw this speaker out the window right now. I'm angry. You're supposed to be counseling and loving the flock. But your punk behind is trying to sleep with the women that you are supposed to be shepherding. That is from the pit of hell. There are pastors who set other guys up when they come in for revival with women in their flock. Punks. They look at pastoring. Doc, give me an honorarium and let me get with the women. It's, it's known. Some of y'all may be, may have experienced that. It's shameful. It's evil. It's wicked. Some of you have even told me that you've experienced Pastors and ministers and reverends trying to hit on you. Shameful game. But read the rest of the verse. He says, not only eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls, cult leaders, cult leaders, people that are on the fringes that need their wounds taken care of and developed. Instead, they mastermind a way to get them under their control. Punks! Says they have hearts trained in greed. Stop! They know how to get in your pockets. Con men. I remember I was at a service. I was so angry. I could have turned over the whole pew. Dude was killing it in the scriptures. Murdering it. I was like, yeah. Then he pulls out an apple and cuts it. Then he pulls the seed out, and he holds the seed up and says, I, I want you right now in this place, we're going to pull an offering, amen, and I want you, I'm going to give you this seed, and the next person that comes, I want you to pass that seed back as a pointing, and I'm prophesying over, the, I was, I, 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 my wife, I covered her ears, I said, let's get out. I've seen cats prophesy Lexuses. I've seen cats prophesy that people are going to get a house. I saw some ridiculous dude on TV tell people that God has a debt removing anointing when 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 um when two thousand when Y2K is gonna happen, he said when your bank account, he said it's gonna read zero, he says don't ask about it. He said that's a debt removing anointing. I said, No, that's not debt removing anointing, that's stealing. 
You need to go back to the bank and tell them this is this is my last statement. What is we got people that we actually tolerate. I'm in the park with my son the other day. I'm in the park with my son the other day. We go, we playing in the park. Dude with a real heavy, thick beard came in with his kids. My son started playing with his kids. He said, what's up? I said, what's up, man? And we started talking. All of a sudden, I don't know how I came up. I was a pastor. And he kind of like snickered. And we began to talk. And he began to let me know that he was a Muslim. And he let me know that he was a Christian. I said, nah, you can't be a Christian and change. Said, when you're born again, that's it. So you, you, you were an unbeliever and you just became a Muslim. Just say that. <laughs> okay. You, like, and so that's, you know, but I was gracious with it. I was loving with it. And he began to unearth to me. I said, let me know why you dipped. Why, what was the issue? He said, I knew he was going to ask that. He said, you know, he said, when he, my grandmother took me, same story. My grandmother took me. My grandmoms was up in the church. You know, I'm looking around. Past ain't really up on nothing. Trying to get loot. He said, I dipped. I said, well, let me, let me explain something to you, my friend. I said, you can't get your Christianity off TV. He said, he said, what you mean? I said, we who are Christians do not hold the Christianity in common that many of the men on the TV screen promote. And he was like, what, what do you mean? I started walking him through. He said, man, there's 73 sects of Muslims. How many are there in Christianity? So we started walking through, and I started walking him through fundamental Christian doctrine. And then I, I got to go over the Easter message with him. So we began talking about, he said, uh, the Quran was a continuation of the Old Testament. And I said, well, it can't be because in Genesis 22, it says we were talking about how Jesus is pointed to in that passage. All of it speaks of him. But in the Quran, it says that Jesus Christ cops a plea before Allah saying, I don't know who called me a deity. I'm sorry for them, but I worship you. And so as we began to talk and chop it up and pour in, I began to talk to them about, I said, yo, man. The Christianity that you have experienced was a lie. And this has been an issue across the board for centuries. He says, these cats were trained. They teach one another how to get in your pockets. So many of you don't give to ministry because you think the church is all about money. When the goal is to steal, you're supposed to still give to ministry, but not to line my pockets. I don't want a pastor's anniversary. I'm just telling you right now, with no check for ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, y'all buying me a car, doing all that. I don't want it. I don't want it. Train and teaching greed. Trained in getting more. Trained in getting in your pockets. Trained. Trained. Trained to be false prophets. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to stay here for a minute. I thought I was going to be done in 45. I'm sorry. Ain't going to be 45 today. <coughs> Listen to what he tells the trainer of elders in Ephesus. He's training elders by training Timothy to train elders. And this is the last thing that he tells them. Paul. In this section, he says, he starts with verse 6. He says, now there is great gain in godliness 
with, a, with contentment. <coughs> he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. He says, but if you have food and clothing, with these you will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He said, you thought you were just going after greed and it opened up a can of worms of all types of evil that is uncontrollable for you to deal with because sin is a cancer and it loves oxygen. And to live, it's going to create an environment for itself. And if the leadership is like this, what in the world does the church look like? Just plunge them into ruin. Then listen to what he says. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's the tree. The root. The root of the love for money when it's planted like bitterness, grows up in all types of sin are children of that one root. He said, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, apostasy, and pierced themselves with many a pain. I love this part. But as for you, O man of God, flee. Run. Run. As fast as you can from these things, shameful and evil gain. <clears throat> so we want to, we're not saying we're better than anybody, but we want to rewrite this picture. We want to rewrite the picture through Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, it says, but eager. It says, not for shameful gain. In other words, with some type of ulterior motive for what you want for people for personal gain, but it should be eagerly because the purpose of it is kingdom gain, not personal gain. Kingdom gain versus personal gain. Kingdom gain versus personal gain. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom gain. Jesus gain. Yahweh gain. Uh, 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 church gain. Missional gain. Evangelistic gain. Not personal gain. That's called punk game. Oh, I wish I had time to just holler out the window for an hour. This is the other one I want to spend some time on. I didn't go through all the verses. If you want the other verses on that, get them from your small group leader. Um, I'm gonna get, I, I got to move. <laughs> then he says, not domineering over those under your charge. I like this. Now, let's talk about something, the C word, covering. Some of y'all who, 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 who are part, some of this is going to be strange to some of you who didn't grow up in the church or who didn't, but just stick with us because you'll know game when you see game now, all right? And so, and so domineering the flock, this idea of domineering is of exercising dominion over one's own advantage to lord it over him. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, he says, do not be like the Gentiles and lord it over God's people. Lording it means having sovereign control over everything in people's life. I remember I asked somebody to go with me somewhere. They said, I got to ask my pastor. 
I got to ask my pastor, can I do this? I got to ask him, can I do that? I got to, don't y'all ask me, I mean, look, y'all, look. There's certain things. I'm not trying to take the authority, the A out of authority. But domineering over you, controlling your life. If God calling you, say, I got a job in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, I don't believe God called you to that. He called you to this house. Controlling people's lives. And their lives are for Jesus, not for the preacher. Some of y'all are getting free right now. And you're free to just go like this. Just, just some of y'all are getting free. Some of y'all are scared to say amen. Y'all are scared because y'all came from the same church together. <laughs> you're scared to say amen. But you know them old control, control freaks that passes everything from the pulpit to the parking lot. Look, that's why some of y'all, when y'all give me too many details, I get cross-eyed. I was like, Mom, dude, that's why she's laughing. I'll be like, I don't want to know all that. Did it actually get done? Okay, praise God. Like, I, I don't want to know how much something costs as long as it was in the budget. Control. Control freaks. Domineering over God's people. He said, those under your charge. He says, he says do not be domineering over God's people. He says, but be examples. This is a beautiful word here. The word for examples here is a word for idol. It's usually used for idol. It's a word, now don't get me wrong, he's not saying be an idol. You know, we're going to have church idol, like we always got something corny, like the world got American idol. Let's do church idol, you know. So that's not what it's talking about here. <laughs> you know how we do. So make sure, you know, uh, I can have a whole, like, message on just corny Christianity. Okay. <laughs> okay, says, <coughs> Tide, he'll make you clean. I'll... As, it's, a, it's a, examples, examples. Listen to what the word example means. It means as a small scale form designed to be copied or a pattern. In other words, what elders are supposed to be are supposed to pattern themselves after Christ and God's people are supposed to be able to look up to them. That means the brothers get their masculinity from watching Jesus vicariously through their elders. That means they want to be like you. They watch you with your wife, want to know how you treat her. I want to be like that. Watch how you don't, you don't overspend. Watch how you're not too flashy. Watch how you talk to people. Watch how you interact. You're like people's TV screen. Says be examples. Ladies should be able to look at a qualified male elder and either see a father figure or someone who they could marry. Not him. But you should, you should be praying. Women should see elders. As we appoint elders, women should be praying, God, I'm not married. But if I ever get a husband, I want him to be like elder so-and-so. I'm not coveting him. I just want, I just want a man, if, 
if all of what I see is real and that's like that behind closed doors, give me that. Uh-huh, give me that. <laughs> Examples. Little boys off the block. I remember somebody told me, stop dressing like that. People won't have anything to look up to. You need to, you need to, you need to dress up more. How are they going to look up to you with what you drive? I remember somebody told me that. I looked at them like I was crazy, and I prayed in nine different languages while I was talking to them <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> I said, Jesus, why? Boy, Lord, have mercy. Keep me near nine crosses. But, um, <clears throat> and they were saying because people get what to be like from what you appear to be. That's what they said. I said, I said, show me that in the Bible. There's a dignity in eldership. So that, that means if you are aspiring in, in ministry, we're going to talk about that next week, young man. <clears throat> we're going to talk about the rest of the passage. This is important. Is your life copable? Is your life copable? Can somebody look at your life without a Bible and see things about Jesus that's redeemable and user-friendly for their souls? That, that, that should scare you. That should scare you. That means you got to wash. <laughs> it's simple as something like that. Maybe need to be exemplary in that. Taking care of the finances. Your, phone, your cell phone shouldn't be turned off every week. Every week. And you got a job. Your rent should be paid on time. And you should be moving towards buying because renting is slavery. That's something simple. Brush your teeth. Comb your hair if you got some. Make a disciple. Exemplary. And this is not just for eldership. This should be for any man. Any man. Those are the simple things that everybody should do, though. Amen. Be examples. Then it says something beautiful here as we come to a close. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown. <coughs> Turn over to Ezekiel 34. Go to Isaiah and go over two books. If you hit Daniel, it's next to Daniel. Make a left. Thirty-four. <clears throat> Jesus says, I mean, the, uh, uh, Yahweh says in verse 1, he says, The Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat of the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. That was flyness. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. You feed off the sheep, but you don't feed the sheep. 
The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek to them for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, God declares, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because no shepherds have searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, taking care of their big house, live, uh, living on 26s, you know, going all over the place, getting, getting fat old uh, flat screen 50-inch plasmas in every room in the house, even in the bathtub. You got all types of showers in your shower. You walk out of the shower. You got a heating system that automatically comes on. Then you pick up the remote. They control all the technology in the house. Those shepherds, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, you wolves, you punks, you suckers, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Thus says the Lord God, you punks, behold, I, I myself, I will come off of, out of heaven myself and put myself into a body and I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as the shepherd seeks out the flock when he is among his sheep that has been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered by you punks on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I'm going to judge y'all cats. I'm going to judge you. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them. I will shepherd the flock. I will be your elder. I will be your bishop. I will be your overseer. I will be your chief. I will be your king. I will feed you them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel be grazing. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up their injuries and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The chief shepherd, Jesus, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, y'all, don't look to no dude. Don't look to no man at the expense of looking at Christ. Don't do it. I heard somebody say, I can't buy a bigger house than my pastor because my pa I have to, I, I will swing a bat. I'm, <laughs> listen, don't you worship us. 
I will rip my shirt. Now, I'm fat, but I'm like the Pharisees, rip, rip. You know, I will do not worship any pastor. Follow them as they follow Christ. And if they don't follow Christ, stop following them. Matter of fact, set up a meeting. Sit down and challenge him. Don't just leave. Challenge him. Ask them hard questions reverently. Don't get your sister girl on. Or your thug, your thug thizzle. Don't get it on. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying you're supposed to be up on the flop. You know how we do. But I pray that you would get under some good shepherds. I pray that you would get under some good shepherds. Everybody that's a Christian needs to be under good shepherds. You're not off the hook. Yeah. You need to be under some leadership, getting led. And you need to be in the body, connecting with Christians, not doing Christianity at home. A dude emailed me on Facebook talking about, yeah, y'all got institutionalized church up there. We just get it in on the block and just hang out. I said, where are the leaders? All of us are elders. I said, well, none of you are elders then. I said, this organized church, it's called an organic because you're doing evangelism. That ain't the church. There are things that make the church the church based on the Bible. So you can't. Utilize the fact that you've been hurt for the rest of your life as a reason not to get it in with Christians. It's over. It's over. I don't care what you've gone through. God cares about the fact that you've gone through it. But you don't have a right to, 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 to mislead others and to not follow God's commands. So get under small, uh, solid leadership. But if he's greedy, get away from him. Run from leaders who can't keep their eyes off you. Challenge their current off-baseness. Get in community, y'all. Get under godly leadership. If you want some tools on knowing whether or not a church is healthy, one go, go to 9marks.com. Go to our Acts 29 network site. Look at nam.net. Go to those sites and begin to comb through these sites about healthy pastors. Go to the resurgence.com and, and go through that website so that you can learn some healthy shepherds. Now, as I close, we put cats on blast, but it's some dudes that I want to give God glory for that have impacted me, have shepherded me. Number one, if you're listening, Joe Washington, the first man in the local church to disciple me. Pastor Joe Washington, Nat Obi, James J. McCord, Dr. Tony Evans, Dr. Martin Hawkins, Dr. Andre Sims, Dr. Lafayette Holland, Wayne Mitchell, Bill Wellens, and Steve Snyder. Love you. God bless you, gentlemen. If you don't have a church in this city, there are a lot of good, solid churches in this city. Antioch is a booming church. Calvary Chapel, Big Calvary, good church, 10th Presbyterian. I don't care if you don't go here. I just pray that you would get under somebody's leadership and let God rewrite everything for you. I'm going to sit down. But you need to allow God to rewrite the story of some people that God is using in your life to do it right. Not perfectly, because no leader is perfect. 
However, a leader that repents, when you bring stuff to them, they acknowledge it and they change. Not get prideful and say, get under my authority. That's punk leadership. Leave, run. But I pray that God would give us the grace to see multiple churches that exist, that are not healthy, become healthy. Those who are these unsaved pastors need to get kicked out and sat down and have the gospel shared with them, we pray that that would happen. We would also pray that scores of churches would be planted globally, a bunch of them, of healthy, qualified communities of leaders who are held accountable for their sin, who are held accountable to how they treat their wife, who are held accountable to how they spend money, to be held accountable in every area of life so that God would have a booming community of people that it would trickle down into and we'll have a healthy God-glorified community. It must stop. It must start today. And it doesn't just start with the leadership family. It starts with all of us. I'm done. I keep going. That's one of my soapboxes. Father.